0: Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as He makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jimmy. I am one of the pastors here at Missio Day Uptown. We are so thankful that you're here this morning to worship with us. Um, okay, first of all, Noble, you were fine. But Rebecca, man, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for all of that. Uh, no- no- Noble already left. He was great, too. I just didn't want him to hear. Got to keep the kid humble. No. Uh, and if you don't know this, Noble is actually Rebecca's son. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, I will tell you, clearly, Rebecca is a very, very intelligent person. Her kids do not fall far from the tree. So I knew we could trust Noble to be up here and, and kill it. So... Kill it, he did. Again, do not tell him any of this. Um, Okay, we've already had a lot of talking, and I'll just give you a heads up. I'm going to be talking a lot. So let's just take a, uh, a second here. Just take a deep breath. Some of you are louder breathers than others. That's fine. Go ahead and let it out. And let's jump in. Wake up. Shower. Get dressed. Brush teeth. Drink coffee wake your kids up, get kids ready, send kids off to school, go to work, be severely overworked, take a short lunch, go back to being severely overworked, don't get all your work done, go home, do homework with the kids, clean a little, feel guilty that you don't have more time to clean, make dinner, eat dinner, get kids ready for bed, put kids to bed, do some of that work that you didn't get done, Watch twenty minutes of a TV show, realize you fell asleep eighteen minutes ago. Go to bed, sleep. Wake up, shower, get. Dr- okay, I'm not gonna actually do it again, but you get it, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You want to write it down? Does this does this resonate with anyone? Maybe maybe not every aspect, right? I will tell you, I my first encounter with Missy O'Day was Missy O'Day Logan Square, and Jamie likes a joke. Everyone there was like a freelance blank. It's like, that was their job. And so this did not resonate with them, but maybe some, some of these normal rhythms of life, right? They can be so dull and yet so incredibly difficult. You simultaneously have dreams and hopes for bigger things in your life, and yet you are so unbelievably tired that you don't have time for them, right? Maybe you feel restless without margins, tired. In 2011, there's this film, admittedly, I have not seen it, but Wikipedia is pretty good at describing films. Um, It's a film called Limitless. Now, this movie did really, really well in theaters, despite like no, there's not like, I don't think it's from a book, and there's no like, you know, draw to it outside of it's just a random movie. It did really, really well in theaters. Limitless did star Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro, so there's some pull for some popular actors, and it follows Cooper's character, Edward Mora, who is a struggling writer and whose girlfriend had just left him because of his laziness. Now, Mora is introduced to a drug called NZT48, and the drug gives him the ability to use 100% of his brain 100% of the time. Now you should know that at the, uh, particularly in the like, 2010s area, for whatever reason, there was this myth that we only use 10% of our brain at one time, um, and we can only ever really use 10% of our brain. Now that is a myth. Um, MythBusters busted it, so it must be not true. Um, <clears throat> as did like places like Harvard, but MythBusters more important. Um, but because this myth was so widespread. I believe the idea that we could use 100% of our brains was incredibly enticing, right? Think about it. it uh, well, here, let me say this. Like, of course, in the film, Mora is able to use this advantage he gets from the drug for like, huge success. He gets his girlfriend back. He gets his big job. He plays the stock market and does really well. And of course, it all comes crashing down, right? But I want to ask you this question. Why did it do so well in the box office? Why was this so enticing? I believe that we are a people who are severely aware of our limitedness, right? And I think we hate it. We hate it because there's often a deep urge in us for more, for better, for limitlessness. Why do superhero movies do so well, right? I think it's because people dream about what it would be like to have those powers, right? Like, what would it be like if I was Miles Morales, right? Or I could just zip line anywhere from my wrist, right? Or I could go invisible anytime I wanted. Or he he is probably actually the best. It's wild. Best Spider-Man, right? I just watched the second Spider-Verse movie. I can't remember the um, preposition. It It was great. But the possibility to even consider being limitless is intoxicating. And yet, we are a people who are severely aware of our limitedness in a society that asks us to be limitless, right? The combination of both our desire to be limitless and the societal ask for us to be limitless is at best exhausting and at its worst hopeless. I will never be what I want to be or what this world asks me to be, right? Welcome to church, by the way. I hope you're having fun. (laughs) So he, he drinks it, amen. Uh, so what do we do? Does the church or Bible or the Christian tradition, do they have any answers on how we become limitless? No, they do not, right? In fact, God and his word call us to the exact opposite. We are called to recognize our limitedness and lean into it instead of running away from it. And one way we do that, and one way we're going to talk about this morning doing that, is called Sabbath. This morning, as we explore the idea of the manna in the wilderness, we will explore this. We are called to keep Sabbath as a recognition of our need to rely on and rest in God. Right? We need to recognize our need to rely on God and rest in God. Before I continue that exploration, though, let me pray. Lord, this morning, uh, as I preach, I pray that whatever is from me is forgotten and whatever from you is remembered. Lord, let us be about your glory, not mine. Let us be about your name, not ours. Lord, uh, help me to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In your son's name I pray, amen. All right, so we are still in our uh, series, if you're new with us, uh, on Exodus We just read Exodus 16, and we are still in the post-Exodus from Egypt, but pre-law part of the Exodus. Here, as we know, the Israelites are in the wilderness or the desert, being led by Moses and Aaron, who are, of course, actually being led by God, and their wandering is not arbitrary, right? They are moving from Egypt to the Promised Land. Last week, we saw how God provided sweet water for the Israelites And then just a few days after that is where we arrive in our passage today. And we have some similar patterns from the Israelites, do we not, from previous passages? We see that the Israelites, they get hungry, they grumble against Moses and Aaron for food, and then they say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now if you don't remember, this is very similar to what the Egyptians or sorry, what the Israelites said as the Egyptians bore down on them when they were up against the water, right? Did you bring us out in the wilderness to die? We'd rather die in Egypt where at least they have graves, right? And what did we say at that time? We said that in distress or moments of hardness, we romanticize the past as a way to escape the present, right? And yet Despite their grumbling, and despite their turning to Moses and Aaron instead of God, God once again hears the cries of the people, and God responds. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And then we get all these instructions. I'm not going to reread them, but we get these instructions that they're only to gather enough for that day, and if they, don't act- if they accidentally don't gather enough, they're still going to have enough. And if they accidentally gather too much, they're only going to have enough, right? Right? And they're not to gather it for more than a day or else it go bad. And then on the sixth day, they will gather twice as much. And that food that was going bad every single night will actually stay overnight on the sixth night. And then they will have that food in the morning. So my question to us is, what is God doing here? Like he says he's testing them in the passage, right? But what is this test for? What does it reveal? I believe it reveals two things that he wants to, te- to teach the Israelites. The first thing that God wants to show the Israelites is that they are reliant, namely on him. They are reliant. God says that he will rain bread down from heaven for them every single day. But the question sort of becomes in all of this, like, why does God wait until they, like, feel the rumbling, right? He does the same thing with the water. It's like three days then he provides water. Why does he wait? And why doesn't he, why doesn't he just provide them, like, enormous meals where they don't even recognize their need. I believe it's because God cares for the Israelites, and it sounds backwards, but actually some of his waiting is his care. He wants them to understand that they are reliant on him, right? You see, the more people understand the reliance on God, the less they take on. The world will continue to spin with or without you, sorry, with or without them, Right, um, and that is actually a freeing reality. That was a joke. I was calling out you, uh, just to be clear. But we are not just shown through the manna that we are wholly reliant on God. Right? The scriptures are littered with the idea that God is the one in control, and we are not. Let me look at a few with us uh, this morning. Job 12:10. In His hand is the life of every creature, and the breath of all mankind. Isaiah 45, which is, funnily enough, the first song we sang, one of the uh, like lines in the chorus comes from this. You'll see it. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. This is God speaking, by the way, not me, just to be clear. Um, I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. So from the rising sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity, and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. And then Colossians 3. For in him, him is Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Those are all things that like, think they're in control, right? All things have been created through Jesus... And for Jesus. And here's the punch Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, everything holds together. In Jesus, everything holds together. We are, have always been, and will always be reliant on God the Sustainer. But we live in a society that perpetuates the myth of self reliance and independence. So it is vital to understand our dependence on God or we will run face first into our, limit, uh, our limitedness in a way that is hard to recover from, right? It is good to be reliant. The second thing that God wants to show his people through the manna in the desert is to show that the Israelites also need rest, right? Namely, rest in him. Back to the passage. Verse 22. I do want to reread this. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. If you're doing math, that means they were gathering one, now they're gathering two. Um, and the, thank you for the three of you that liked that one. Um, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want and boil what you want. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. So they saved it till the morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh, the Sabbath, there will not be any. You see, God established a pattern of the manna that it would come with the dew of the ground on the morning for six days, but on the seventh day, no manna would be found, because God is establishing a power or sorry a pattern of rest for his people, right? We'll talk about more of this this more in a bit, but rest is an outcome of reliance. If I know I am reliant on God, then I can rest. Restlessness, the opposite of rest, right? Restlessness comes when we believe or we are the ones who are in control of our fate entirely. Right? So we work, we work, we work believing this is how we're going to earn our keep. But then, of course, our keep, is that, or our keep that we've earned isn't big enough, so we work more, hoping for a bigger keep. But rest flies directly in the face of grind culture, right? It says, I can rest, I can even nap, I can take this day off because God is in control, not me. You see, rest highlights that we are limited in order to remind us that we are not God, But rest, of course, did not begin with manna, right? Where did it begin? In the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So it started, like I said, at creation, right? On the seventh day, God rested, Now, do we think God rested because he was tired from creating? No, God does not get tired, right? No, God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired from creating, but to model for us how we ought to live. In other words, the limitless one wanted to model for the limited ones what a healthy rhythm of life looks like. And that healthy rhythm includes rest and reliance in the form of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a few minutes here talking about Sabbath. I want you to, I want to say this, we're not going to cover everything this week. Um, in two weeks, we're going to do sort of panel-ish, podcast-ish style of uh, a sermon. I'm really excited about it. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Sabbath and justice and the ways in which it's actually um, related. So if you're like, well, I'm feeling something in myself, just know that's coming, okay? But what is Sabbath. Sabbath is the embodied practice of this reliance and rest. It's an embodied practice. I said this at the beginning. We are called to keep Sabbath as a recognition of our need to rely on and rest in God, right? And God in our pa- pattern, or passage is establishing that rhythm for people. Soon, he's going to establish it more like specifically in the giving of the law. But for now, he shows the people why they need it. For a reminder of the reliance and a rhythm of rest. So the question is, what is Sabbath? The Hebrew word for Sabbath is one you've probably heard. The word is Shabbat. Again, you may have heard some of your Jewish friends talk about it on like a Friday night or or Saturday during the day. But Shabbat literally means to stop. And so Sabbath is a 24-hour period of rest. Now, this is where I'm going to be honest with you. I did not hear much about Sabbath growing up, right? I didn't grow up in a Christian family, so that's part of it. But even once I became a Christian, I can't, I can't think of a single time in high school where it had been mentioned, the idea of Sabbath. And then I was really involved in a college ministry, uh, and I had no idea. I had never heard the idea. I had heard the word just in my reading, but I had no idea that people like, still kept the Sabbath, right? So, I, and then I worked for them for five years, and it's like not one person I knew over like the hundreds of people that I knew even on staff, not one person kept Sabbath. And so for me, I was like, is this even a thing? And then recently, I've started to hear more and more about it. Um, And the reality is that despite the fact that the Sabbath was deeply ingrained in Old Testament culture, and even in the culture at Jesus' time, Sabbath is a deeply foreign concept for Christians, right? It hasn't been, again, like I said, until recently that I started to hear more about it. And again, I want to be honest with you from the jump, I still have not started to even like keep a physical Sabbath. Um, I tried a little bit yesterday, but I also saved my sermon until yesterday, so (sighs) Um, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But I will say this, (laughs) as I was uh, planning the Exodus series and sort of like where we were going to be, I looked ahead a few weeks ago and I was like, oh shoot, this idea of Sabbath is coming, right? Um, and so I started to read about Sabbath. I've started to listen to podcasts about Sabbath, and I'm going to be honest, I am like all the way bought in. I am like, okay, right, Jamie, we are starting to keep Sabbath because this sounds amazing. Um, now part of it is, again, I'm not going to cover all this week. Part of it is really hard. It's like being, keeping Sabbath means you go quiet, and then all of a sudden your negative feelings are loud, and it's like, well, hmm, maybe I will go back to watching TV, right? Um, but. I I do want to, I wanted to say that from the beginning because um, as I talk about it, this is not deeply embedded in my life, right? And I still have a ton to learn about it. But I want to learn more. I want to integrate this into my life in a meaningful way. Um, And and so as I lay this out, I just invite you to consider it and to think about it, right? Um, There's this pastor, his name's John Mark Comer. Uh, He's, I'll be on it for better or for worse, I'm not like very into like celebrity pastor sort of culture. I just have some weariness. And so I had this, this disciple back in Northwestern who like really got on my nerves, I'll be honest. But I, we've talked about it. I love him. But he like really loved John Mark Comer, so I had never really listened to him until recently. Um, and I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. He's, he's pretty cool. He's pretty fun. But he's a pastor that taught, teaches a lot on Sabbath. And he has outlined what Sabbath is intended to include. Now, I'm not 100% sure if this comes from him, but he's the one who I heard it from, so he gets the credit, and it doesn't necessarily always have to follow this, but I wanted to highlight for you sort of what does Sabbath, what can Sabbath look like, right? Okay, the first one is stop. We put most of our life on pause. No work, no obligations, no household work, no catching up on emails, no thinking about work or obligations, being like, I have to do this. No, you, you set that aside. You stop, right? We stop everything that's going on and set aside 24 hours to not be obligated. The next is rest. We get off our devices. I did turn off my phone for 24 hours. That was kind of wild. We allow ourselves to sleep in. We take a nap. We integrate rest into our day. Delight. We do things we enjoy. We are around people we enjoy. This is not just a sort of like individual thing, right? Right? We allow ourselves to have fun, right? We do something fun as a family or something like that. And then worship. We center our days around the one who our days ought to be centered around, right? And we decenter ourselves. So we pray, we get into scripture. Maybe you like to sing worship music to yourself, right? We spend time recentering God and decentering ourselves. So these are some of the elements that come through with Sabbath, right? But what does this practically look like? It practically looks like picking a 24-hour period of time. I've decided that mine is going to be Friday dinner, so right when we start dinner on Friday as a family, all the way to Saturday dinner, right? Now, the reality is most people really love to do like Saturday uh, dinner to Sunday dinner or Saturday morning to, to Sunday morning. I'm just here working, and so I can't really do that, but Either one, like whatever works for you, whatever's in your schedule. Maybe you have sort of a wonky schedule and you're like, I'm off Wednesday, so Wednesday's going to be my Sabbath. Pick a 24-hour period, shut your phone off, start with a meal, and from there build out your day. Include stop, resting, delighting, and worshiping, right? Uh, a resource I want to suggest comes from John Mark Comer. It feels weird because it's like a he, he's from Portland, so everything feels like super hippie, honestly. And I don't know other, how other to put, so he calls it Practicing the Way, and it's like, all right. Um, but it's, it's good. Um, so it's practicingtheway.org Sabbath. I just want to throw it up there. Um, you, it's free, but they have a four-week sort of training on like, here's four weeks of practicing the Sabbath so that you can get it integrated into your life. And so I'm starting that next week, if anyone wants to join me. I just want to introduce you to that real quick. Um, Okay, I've hit on like how to Sabbath for a bit, and again, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks. So the, the last question, or one more question I really want to answer is why can we Sabbath? Why can we Sabbath? I've highlighted a bit why we should, right? We are limited people who are living in a society that asks us to be unlimited. So we need to constantly reorient ourselves to our limitedness and to God being the only one who is limitless, a reminder that we are reliant and in need of rest. And another reason we should, and then I'll get to why we can, what is, according to Jesus, the greatest command? To love, right? To love God with our whole being and to love each other as we love ourselves, right? I am convinced that we are able to love, whether we Sabbath or not, I am am convinced that we are able to love more deeply when we are well-rested. So, let me let you into my life. One way I like to have fun is, I hate to admit it, but it's video games, okay? I understand I'm grown, but I don't necessarily want to be. Now, um, some of the video game people, or some of my best friends that I video game with, all just happen to live in California. And I don't know if you know this, but California is two years, or two two years. (laughs) Maybe, but also they're two hours ahead of us, right? Or behind us, behind, okay, I'm getting there, come on. (laughs) I'm just kidding, you are right, behind, sorry, that's my fault, that's my fault, yeah, yeah, humility. Um, So they're two two hours behind us. So what that means is, I go to bed at 10 p.m. every night, and it just so happens that at 10 p.m. every night, my friends are like, hey, you guys ready to game? Because it's eight o'clock for them, they got a couple hours. And usually I'm, usually, I'll be like, no, I'm good, like, Jamie's been in bed for an hour, so I'll, I should probably go to bed. And then she's she's like, a little more than occasionally, yeah. Um, But I will say occasionally, um, I happen to stay up, and I'm like, hey, it's a Friday night. I can stay up a little bit. Um, And then all of a sudden, it's like 11 for them, and they're like, hey, I'm going to bed. And I'm like, oh, it's one for me. Yeah, I probably should too, huh? So I go to bed. Um, Jamie, like, wakes up from her stupor and is like, what are you doing? Like, um, but... The reality is, every time I think I can do this, and every time I can't, I wake up the next day irritable. I don't want to do anything around the house that helps Jamie or Alex, right? I'm a little bit more short-tempered. Maybe this is just me, but I am more loving and more considerate when I am well-rested, right? And because Jamie and Alex deserve my best loving self, I have to seek to rest well, right? Maybe for you, it isn't a spouse and a kid. Maybe for you, it's a roommate, right? Maybe it's uh, Dashel, the coffee shop barista, who also happens to be the, the child of someone in here, right? But maybe it's someone that you just encounter every single day, right? They deserve your best loving self, right? They deserve to get to see Jesus through you. And often that's a rest itself, right? This is why Sabbath is a spiritual practice. When we are tired, we are so often in our flesh, Right? God has called us to rest well because we are so often much more aware of the Spirit and His guidings when we are well-rested. Okay, but again, that's really why we should. That's a different question, though, than why can we Sabbath? So the question is, why can we? And this is especially for those of you who are sitting there and being like, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm different. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> we always are, right? Um, a lot of different people in this room. Um The question is, why can we rest? Why can we rest? In short, because we have been identified with Jesus' righteousness, we can rest and be reliant. It's because of Christ's righteousness that we can rest and be reliant. In John 6, John had just told the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people with five loaves of bread. And after this, people start to freak out they start to realize that Jesus is pretty important. And so Jesus, what he does, he realizes it's not time for him to sort of like be king. Um, he, reali- he, he withdraws himself. And then when the crowds realize that Jesus is no longer there, they go searching for him, and eventually they find him. Uh, and then they start searching for him because they want answers about the bread. Like, what is going on here, right? And so I want to jump into John 6 and sort of look at what Jesus' response is. And this is going to sort of like... Um, Mark my time up here. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. So in other words, Jesus is sort of calling out the crowds here. He's saying, you don't come to me for me. You come to me because you want more bread. You don't care who I am. You care what I can do for you, right? Let's go back to the passage. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, we know from the next verse, but the he here that they're sort of referring to, we think it might be Moses just based on how Jesus respond. So they're saying, how do we know you're a prophet? In the past, the prophets did signs like Moses did. He gave manna to the people. So let's see what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, I know this passage preaches on its own, but I'm going to go ahead and do it for a minute if that's all right. In the beginning, I said that we hate our limitedness, that everything in us wants to be limitless, that there is a deep urge in us, a deep desire that says we were made for something more for something limitless. And yet, we often interpret that poorly as the idea that we ought to be limitless. And while this desire is misplaced, I do not believe it is a sinful desire. Human desire is for the limitless because we were made to live with God forever in his world. And anything less than that, which is everything, by the way, will never satisfy I said that, it's differently up here. We have been given the desire for the limitless because we have been offered limitless love from the limitless one, right? We have been given the desire, the urge for limitless because we've been offered limitless love from the limitless one. St. Augustine, who's a North African saint from the fourth century, he said it like this. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in Thee right? See, it's one thing, though, to understand that we find rest in God, like Augustine is saying here. It's another thing to understand how we find rest in God. So, how do we find rest in God? You see, when Jesus said he was the bread of life, he wasn't just saying it because it sounded good. You see, I I want you to, like, think about a loaf of bread, eating a loaf of bread. So, we have this good homemade loaf of bread, and we're passing it around the table. And what do we have to do in order to consume the bread, in order to be uh, fulfilled, in order to meet our satisfaction. We have to break that bread, right? We break the bread so that it can be consumed. When Jesus calls himself the bread of life, he knew the day was coming where he would be broken, where he would be wrongfully convicted for a crime that he did not commit, and he would be taken to the cross where he would die. But we know that that breaking that dying was not in vain, right? We know that that breaking happened so that we could be satisfied. Isaiah 53 says it like this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was broken for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace uh, to us was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the sin of of us all. Here's the good news, church. Because he took on our sin, we got his righteousness. Amen. In other words, we can trust in Christ, when we trust in Christ, when the God, the Father looks at us, he does not see all the ways we have fallen short. He does not see us as the worst things that we have done. He's not upset or disappointed with you right now. When God looks at us, he sees us as if we were Jesus. He sees us as if we are and have always been and will always be perfect. He looks at us with delight. God is proud of you. Because he was broken, we are righteous. But how does this relate to rest, right? I said that this was was related to rest. Think about it. If we know that God sees us with Christ's righteousness, we are given the freedom to fully pursue him regardless of what we've done. In other words, because we have been made right, we can set down the burdens of guilt and shame that keep us in a restless state, right? You are not the worst thing you have done, right? And we can rest knowing that our righteousness does not come from how good we are now, but it has already come from Jesus. You do not need to earn anything from God. You can rest. Now, I may not have fully convinced you that maybe you should take a Sabbath, right, but I hope this morning that I've convinced you that you can rest in his righteousness. You know, over the years, uh, I have been so angry at my limitedness. I didn't really realize that's what I was mad about, but, but it is. I think I was probably convinced by my very small town that I could be whatever I wanted, that I was kind of like top dog, you know? And as a result, I walked into Northwestern University in the fall of 2009, and I got my butt whooped. <laughs> I had a lot of pride and a lot of dreams about who I was become, who I would become, and I was humbled very quickly. And yet, while I was taught the lesson, I didn't learn it. I got I go through Northwestern and then while teaching middle school, I started to get severe migraines. Once a week, every week without fail on a Saturday. It was as if my body knew when it could shut down, and it did. See, at this point I was working 80 hours a week as a middle school teacher, and I thought I was limitless. I thought the, the problems of the world were too big for me to take a break, and yet every Saturday was a reminder of my limitedness. You all know, know some of my health struggles, but from 22 to now, I have had constant reminders through my health of my limitedness. And for a while, I avoided learning the lesson and hated that, limitless, or that limitedness. Uh, another way it plays out, early in my marriage, I never said this out loud. I don't know if I've ever even said it to Jamie. But I didn't want to do dishes. Well, she knew that one part. But (laughs) We didn't have a dishwasher, to be fair. Um, I didn't want to do dishes because I had too big of dreams of my life to do dishes. In some ways, I was too big for the dishes, right? Now, I will say I did do them. But it was far less often than I should have and not until I pushed Jamie too far in my obstinance, right? And then, we, the pandemic came, Alex moved in with us, we got a dog, and all of a sudden, here's our dog, all of a sudden, there were others relying on me for basic needs. I distinctly remember one of the many walks I took Copper on in that time period. Um, you should know this, our dog is super chaotic, so we walk him like seven times a day, and then he's still, still kind of a butt, but anyways... I was walking him one day, and I, I just hated, like, walking him because it was just like, this takes up too much time for my big dreams that I was not fulfilling. But so I'm walking him, and all of a sudden it's like I was so aware of my smallness, but in a good way, that maybe life was not about these enormous moments. Life wasn't about what I was going to be, right? That eventually I would push through my limitedness to be something great. That's not what life was about. Life was about acknowledging and befriending my limitedness. Life was about being small. Now, while I wouldn't have called it this at the time, walking Copper after that became small Sabbath moments for me, moments to acknowledge my limitedness, my reliance on God, and in that acknowledgement, I could rest, and I could love Jamie, Alex, and Copper better. And I could love those who we encountered along the way, right? Sabbath is my acknowledgement that I am a limited person, that I am small. But Sabbath is also acknowledgement that my God is not limited. And I can rest in my limitedness because his unlimited love sustains me. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.